This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. Well, again, folks, Mea Culpa's taking a short August recess, but with everything that's happening, we don't want to let you down. So stay tuned for an all-new, raw and unfiltered interview with my friend Norm Eisen, an attorney and author who has served in a broad array of government roles. Norm was special counsel and special assistant to President Barack Obama for ethics and government reform. And in that role, the press dubbed him Dr. No and the Ethics Czar for his absolute tough anti-corruption approach. And since the election of Donald Trump, Norm has dedicated himself to ridding this nation of the orange menace, serving as special counsel to the House Judiciary Committee for the impeachment and trial of the former president. And also since then, he has been one step ahead of Trump, offering his brilliant legal mind to locking him up. Norm joins us today to discuss how the various co-conspirators in Trump's orbit will face legal justice. I mean, it's really a truly incredible conversation. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Norm, CNN put out an article which is entitled, A Showdown Over Trump's Trial Date Reflects an Irreconcilable Clash Between Campaign Politics and Justice. Now. The prosecutors argued Thursday that a speedy trial was feasible since they were prepared for a swift and fulsome handover of evidence in the discovery process. And you understand this better than most as the guy who handled the first Trump impeachment and the discovery process. What's your thoughts about all of this? The Trump federal charges can, should, and must, uh, can, should, and must go to trial fast under the applicable law, the request of the prosecutors, and above all, in the public interest. The Speedy Trial Act, <clears throat> pardon me, the Speedy Trial Act says that federal cases should be tried in 70 days. The government is extending far more time than that to Donald Trump. And there's no reason this case can't go to trial on January 2nd or soon thereafter. Michael, what are we going to litigate? Who won the 2020 election? That's been decided over and over again. The case should go fast. I mean, the prosecutors, of course, argued exactly what you're saying, that the extraordinary and historic nature of the charges regarding a historic attempt to derail U.S. democracy certainly weighed in favor of moving quickly. I don't understand how Trump's lawyers are attempting to argue that the Speedy Trial Act should not apply to Donald Trump (laughs) because why? He's busy playing golf because he's busy running from state to state um, you know, trying to gin up more support or money for, you know, his campaign. I'm not so sure that that should derail the prosecutor's, uh, you know, the, the prosecutor's litigation over these, you know, very important historic facts. Uh, it shouldn't derail uh, the matter. Michael, we and it, and I think it won't derail the matter, and I'll tell you why. Um, the judge 
uh, has just had a hearing on another question, a protective order. So all of those documents you, that you described can be turned over. Um, in that order, she said, in that hearing, she said two things that are devastating, absolutely devastating to uh, Trump's effort to delay this trial. The first is she said politics are not going to come into it. Well, if you he's and he's going to be treated like any other defendant. That means speedy trial. That means we go January 2nd or soon thereafter. She could set it January, February, March even. The other thing she said was the more inflammatory statements that are made publicly by those involved in this case, the faster we have to go to trial because of the taint of the jury pool. Well, Trump is not going to be able to withstand making inflammatory statements. So for both of those reasons, I think that we are going to see a speedy trial here. I wrote a long piece before the hearing, before the government motion. I wrote a long piece in Salon explaining these issues. And um, I uh, stand by my analysis that uh, this must go to trial and it must go fast. Yeah, look, Smith actually laid out what I would consider to be a genius, genius response to Trump attorney's interest in the delay game. What he said was that Trump is entitled to be considered innocent until proven guilty, like all criminal defendants. But it is also possible that voters next year could be asked to decide whether the former president, who could theoretically by then be a convicted felon, is fit to swear to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution and the rule of law ahead of a new White House term. I mean, can, can anybody say that better? I don't think so. Uh, no, that, that, that says it. That says it all. And how can we function as a country um, if we're somebody who has demonstrated a, that they have a proclivity to attack our democracy and then they want to take that power to, to attack our democracy again? How can we function as a country if, if the voters don't know if they're innocent or guilty. He should want to go to trial fast. He claims he's innocent. Well, then let him get the cloud out from over him. But what's interesting, Norm, is the fact that Alvin Bragg's case against Donald Trump, which is slated for March of 2024, will actually become the second case to go to trial against Donald Trump if, in fact, this case moves forward and is expected to be um, tried January of 2024, which I think is a good thing, something that you've actually talked about quite a bit. Yes. Um, Michael, make no mistake about it. The case is moving forward. The dots have been connected in the hearing. It is going to be a fast case and is going to go first. Alvin Bragg himself has said he supports that. He went on the radio and he said he is willing to uh, be flexible in his trial date, quote, in the interest of justice. 
Now, I don't agree with those who say his case, where you're a critically important witness, is a secondary case. It's an election interference case because the allegation is Donald Trump created phony documents to cover up the hush money payments that uh, to prevent the scandal from emerging after Access Hollywood that would have devastated his campaign. That's an election interference case, but it was the gateway drug and where it ended up in 2020 was even larger, as you predicted. <laughs> you predicted it would. Um, and um, um, and for that reason, I think Alvin may say, look, if we can only do one trial to start the year, I'll do mine later. Yeah, I'm not so sure that Alvin actually has the ability to make that That's, determination, right? right? You know I mean, does? it's really up to the it's judge. To and judge my Marchand. understanding is the judge said... That's right. The judge Mershon said that this date is set in stone. Yeah. But you know what? If they start in January for this case, there's no doubt that this case is going to it's not going to be a two month trial. Right. There's no doubt in my mind. So as soon as that finishes, the bread case will move forward. But, you know, this brings up a topic that I've been speaking to all of my guests here on Mea Culpa about. And it's about Nick Ackerman uh, in a recent New York Times opinion essay. And he wrote, because everybody's talking about how these trials should be televised because of the importance, the national imp and historical importance. But Nick writes why televising these Trump trials is actually a bad idea. And he says it's a bad idea mm -hmm. because the arguments in favor of broadcasting the trials do not give enough weight to the dangers that could pose to trial witnesses and jurors or the potential to undermine the integrity of the trial processes. You agree with Nick's assertion? No. Um, Nick is, uh, he's a friend. We've gone on TV together back, uh, uh, back in the day. We're both impeachment um, you know, uh, 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 both related to uh, impeachment or other investigations of presidential wrongdoing, two different eras. I respect him. He's a wonderful professional, very smart man. This is 2023. We can blur a juror's face on camera or just not train the camera on the juror. We can protect, everybody already knows who the judge is. Um, we can, I've seen her picture everywhere. We can protect the people who are anonymous. There's ways to deal with witnesses who are sensitive. Um, look, in, in our different ways, Michael, you and I are both, you even more, very well-known public figures. You know, people do approach us for good and for bad. Mostly, I don't know about you, I would say the nice ones outnumber the nasty ones by a factor of many, many times. So, you know, public figures are going to get some confrontations in a public space. The judge reportedly has enhanced security. So does Jack Smith. That's what matters. We have to protect the witnesses. That's not a reason not to televise it. The country needs to know. What happened here? So I think we must have television. One of the great advantages of the coming Georgia prosecution, 
of uh, Fannie uh, Willis's coming case in Georgia is that Georgia televises its trial. That case will be on TV. Look, I understand Nick's position. In fact, I somewhat agree with it, as I have said in my previous podcast with him. And I agree with it because I'm the witness or supposed to be a witness in one, if not two, of these cases. And take a look at the, take a look at what just recently happened with a lone, you know, a lone wolf creating a disturbance, threatening to kill Biden and Kamala and uh, threatening to kill Jack Smith and others, gets paid a visit by the FBI. Of course, he's wearing a Trump camouflage hat. Mm. Firefighting suits, right, ensues. And um, next thing you know, he's put down. My feeling is by putting this thing on television, are we not then creating more lone wolves? Now, I'm thrilled that Jack Smith has security. I'm thrilled that, you know, Fannie Willis will have security and so does Alvin Bragg and, and so many others. But you know who doesn't? Mm. I don't. What are they going to do? Why in the world would any witness? It's one thing to, I want to do the right thing. I want to see Donald Trump and others held accountable for their dirty deeds. I've made that pledge a long time ago. But I also want to see my kids walk down the aisle. I want to see grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And they're not doing shit, all right? I mean this. They're not doing shit to protect any of the witnesses. Great, protect the DAs, the jurors, protect the judges, protect, you know, the, uh, the special prosecutor. I'm all for that. But you can't leave the witnesses to fend for themselves. I mean, fuck, I, I, lost, my, I lost my license to carry. I'm not even allowed to carry pepper spray. What about me? And, well, the good news is you're not a witness in Fonnie Willis's case. So you're not going to be, unless you tell me she subpoenaed you, perhaps she should, because you were the first person to warn me that Trump was not going to leave office, that he was going to stage a self-coup. Um, you really, uh, you know, and thank you for doing that. That was early. That was like... 2019 that was january 2019 right michael when i came to new york and, yep. met and then you. i said then i said it again yeah i said it again february when i testified before the house oversight committee <clears throat> but i'm not just so, talking about funny willis's case they want the argument is in favor of broadcasting all the trials well, including the manhattan no, da's no, case we're not gonna we're not gonna the uh, the federal trials are not going to be broadcast. Whatever you may think of it, that's not happening. But I think it is a good thing that the Bonnie Willis case is broadcast. And I think we need to, for those witnesses who are not already well known, and many of them are, they voluntarily went to the January 6th committee, or they're the governor, or the secretary of state. For those who are not, they, their identities need to be protected. Yes, we need to use like that facial recognition and voice blurring right? Like they use on 60 Minutes sometimes for whistleblowers. Protect them, but don't take it off TV. Right. But let's not forget, Alvin Bragg is not a federal case. It's a state case. And so, you know, it's it becomes a question of whether or not these trials should be broadcast for the purpose of providing information to the American people. Uh, I'm not so sure that, you know, having one of those voices for, you know, three, four, five, six hours, you know, a day, 
I mean, I'm not really sure that that's going to do the job that, you know, the broadcasting is. Most of them are not anonymous witnesses. If Brad Raffensperger testifies, everybody knows who he is. He has a security detail. He needs a security detail. Well, so do the other witnesses. That's the point I'm trying to make. Now, let me ask you this then, Norm. Of the six unindicted co-conspirators, who do you believe has the most to worry about in terms of a potential indictment and evidence against them? Let's go through them. I, I think they're all. I think they're all in trouble, Michael. And you know some of them. Um, Giuliani, co-conspirator number one. He was the. This was a coup, not by, um, not by um, guns and tanks and soldiers. It was a coup by lawyers and statutes and cases. It was uh, as Judge Carter said out in California. It was an attempted coup in search of a legal theory. Giuliani was the general of that. So certainly, um, certainly Giuliani is in a great deal of trouble. I think Eastman um, and Chesborough helped him for formulate that plot. Um, so I would put them in the next tier, although Chesborough was graded all the way down to co-conspirator number five. And then there were two very important side um, uh, uh, shows here that factor in the complaint. That's Sidney Powell and um, and Jeff Clark, one an outside lawyer spreading these ridiculous lies, and the other uh, within DOJ trying to hijack DOJ. So my own ranking would be Giuliani, um, Eastman, uh, Chessborough, Clark, Powell, and then I don't know who the Schmagegi is, who's co-conspirator number six, the Times, and my own separate analysis suggests that it may well be Boris Epstein, um, could be Michael Roman, a campaign figure, um, but whoever that is is in the least trouble, and that's why, but still in trouble. Anybody whose name as an unindicted co-conspirator, is in trouble. And and like John Eastman, um, co-conspirator number two, he's already, he's being, dis, he's in the middle of disbarment proceedings in California. I filed, helped file the complaint for that. Eastman has said this has to stop because I'm about to get indicted. So people know they're at great risk. Okay. And for my listeners, explain it just explain how they become, instead of unnamed co-conspirators, because right now there is no target uh, letter that has advised any of these co-conspirators, right? We're basically reading the indictment against Trump, and we're figuring out who one through six are. At what point in time do they become targets, and then how does that then come into play. Obviously, there would be superseding indictments. Yeah, um, or separate indictments. They don't have to charge them together. Um, Interesting. Um, usually, it's the government who wants to roll everybody into one case, and the defendants want to split it off and make the government try their case seven times, because every time the government puts on the case, it gets worse. You got more transcripts, cross-examination, conflicts in recollection. 
um, the element of surprise becomes less. Um, I think the answer to your question is August 29. Really? August 29. Why that date? <laughs> I was hoping you would ask me. Because on August 28th, the judge is going to have a hearing on the trial date in the first case. And the most important thing for Jack Smith is to get a fast trial in that first case. Um, and so the government is going to see what she says, Judge Chutkin. I've already heard a lot of good things in the hearing today that I think strongly indicate she's going to favor a speedy trial. They're not going to want to do anything to complicate that until they get a ruling from her and a trial date. And then they'll make some decisions on the others. Right. So the funny thing is that they they turned around and they claimed that obviously this was a very strategic move by Jack Smith. Right. And the purpose was yeah. to keep the case as streamlined and straightforward yeah. as possible. We right? talked because, about it on you know, this, as others had Michael. We talked about it on this podcast because I came on. You were kind enough to have me after I did my model prosecution memo. What did I say in the model prosecution memo? Jack Smith should charge a short list of people or one. He charged one and he named a short list of others. He should charge three conspiracies. Well, guess what? He charged three conspiracies. He should use three statutes. Well, guess what? He used those three statutes. It's not that I have a crystal ball. But it's so obvious when, like me, I've been practicing criminal law over 30 years. My bipartisan co-authors, we have almost two centuries of experience between us. Well, when we look at this situation, um, it's obvious what to do. And Jack Smith, it's smart. He did it. So how is it possible then that there are these um, a whole slew of pundits, right? There's a whole slew of lawyers that they keep parading, you know, on television, who claim yeah. that we've seen no sign that any of these people, and that's, again, assuming that they've identified them correctly from the indictment, are cooperating or even thinking about cooperating. Even stupid Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani, went on television, and I think it was either Fox or Newsmax or, you know, and then turned around and said, Giuliani is not cooperating with any yeah. of these, you know, uh, investigations against Donald Trump. I call bullshit to that. Well, let me tell you why. Um, let me tell you why they're doing that. They're making a play, a gambit uh, for um, that Trump or another Republican wins and pardons everybody. God bless you, Michael. You didn't play that game. You 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 didn't. No. You, you did something wrong. You're like John Dean that way. You did something wrong. You fessed up. You took your punishment and you became an advocate to help bring Donald Trump to justice. These these people are not that that's America. That, 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 that's why you're, you're, you're not a great only American. not only sure. But thank you. But not only did I fess up to the things that I had done wrong. I fessed up to things that I didn't even do. Well, that, that Like that the tax evasion yeah. or the HELOC. Well, of course it shouldn't have. And you know, one of the things, I was sitting with a buddy of mine this morning and I was explaining to him, I was given 48 hours to make the decision. The second that they brought in my wife, it was game over. Yeah. I would have confessed to being the guy who killed Kennedy. 
I even told this <laughs> asshole, this former prosecutor, uh, Nick uh, Th Thomas McKay and Nick Roos, why don't you also charge me for the Lindbergh baby kidnapping yeah. and the Lufthansa heist? And they said, it's not funny. I said, neither is the bullshit that you're pulling. I once, they once they brought my wife into the game, yeah. it was game over. For the record. It's game I over. For the record, I do think it's funny, and I think we have to laugh. My mom, who was a Holocaust survivor, taught me that part of the way that they survived was to mock their captors behind their back to have a dark, a black sense of humor. So you got to laugh in those moments. That's number one. That's part of the reason we're friends, because uh, I enjoy your sense of humor. Number two, um, I've, I've written... And afterward for your book, Revenge, and otherwise about some of the injustices you face. But, Michael, those are the, the, the big picture is like John Dean. You did do something wrong. You did fess up to it. I did. You took your medicine and then you became an advocate uh, for the rule of law and a witness to help accelerate accountability. And, uh, you know, we all have to thank you for that. That is not what these six individuals seem to be doing. They're playing a game of waiting for a uh, um, uh, they're playing a positive a game result for Trump. In, of, yep, of in waiting, 2024. waiting or another Republican, because Ron DeSantis has said he would consider pardons. Yeah, I wouldn't trust Ron DeSantis, you know, not for anything. But Norm, you said on CNN that, and I quote, it doesn't matter if Trump read Cheesebro's 12-6 memo. There's contemporaneous evidence that Trump engaged in the fake electors plot heavily. If you do me a favor, unpack for my listeners what the evidence is here and what the legal peril is for both Trump and Cheesebro. Well, um... You know, the, the, the legal peril is potentially decades in jail. Trump, if Trump is convicted here, I mean, he is going to face a stiff jail sentence. I think Cheeseboro, Chesboro is how he pronounce, pronounces it. Yeah, I call him Cheese Toes. Well, his, you know, his name, his nickname in law school was the Cheese. Jeff Tubin. Right. Fumunda Cheese, right? Jeff Tubin has just written a brilliant piece for Airmail. The whole, the full history of, of Chesbro. He's very wealthy. He's going to risk losing that money to fines and significant years of uh, jail time, um, potentially decades for him and for Trump. Now, will they actually get decades? Will they be if they're sentenced? But years certainly. Um, so uh, it's a very serious matter. But, you know, what they did was the most serious thing you can do. They attacked our country. <laughs> they certainly attacked our, our democracy. They attacked the peaceful transfer of power. I mean, our, America is not just a question of geography. It's a question of ideas. The American idea is that the people choose their leaders. The re leaders don't get to choose their voters. The voters choose the leaders. And then if they change a leader, he gives up power peacefully. That, that's been the idea of America since Washington uh, uh, made his peaceful transfer of power and since the Constitution took effect. So to now to have 
um, an attack on those practices that are the American idea is, in my view, an attack on our country. Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's so true. But do me a big favor, Norm, right? Because a lot of people don't really know about this cheese bro memo. If you would, walk my listeners through how this cheese bro memo shows the step-by-step progression sure. of how the fake electors plot emerged and how they thought that this was going to be successful for Trump. I find it fascinating. This is this this December 6th memo is the missing link in the legal reasoning. The special counsel had it, he had seen it. He wrote about it in general terms. But when we when we saw it, we learned the birth of the allegedly criminal uh, plan, because before this, Chesbro had been talking about Wisconsin, where there was legitimate, there was a legitimate piece of litigation. It failed. It wasn't going to win, but it was for real. It was a genuine legal dispute. If Trump won that litigation, he would be getting the Wisconsin electors. So in that context, before this memo, they said, hey, we need to appoint electors. What if the litigation is still going on? And that's been done before in close races in Hawaii, 1960. But in this memo, Chesbro said, oh, I have an idea. He actually says in there to the effect of um, how can we prevent Biden from amassing 270 electoral votes even though Biden mm-hmm. had 270 at this point. And he, he uses words like uh, bold and controversial, but really those are euphemisms for nakedly illegal. And what he proposes is let's take what we're doing in Wisconsin to legitimately preserve and let's make fake electors everywhere. Even when there's no real litigation, there's no real question. In Hawaii, there was, it was a race of less than 200 votes. So there was a real question, Hawaii, in 1960. Here, there was no question. So by taking that idea from Wisconsin 2020, from Hawaii 1960, and applying it for the first time to all the races, uh, the six states that he talks about there, where there was no basis to deprive Biden of his electoral votes, that was an illegal scheme. And then he also has the idea, we'll squeeze the vice president to help. The vice president has no power in going to Congress of not recognizing the real electoral votes. So those are the reasons that this memo is um, uh, is um, is so um, so important as the missing link. You know, it's funny. There's this one. I shouldn't say it's funny. It's not funny. It's sad. But this is directly a quote from the uh, Chesbro memo. And it says. This is after figuring exactly what you just said about how <laughs> how they could stop uh, Biden from the 270 by using Mike Pence as the president of the Senate and so on. So he goes on to say, my point here, and again, this is Chesbro, my point here is that it is important that the alternate slates of electors meet and vote on December 14 if we are to create a scenario under which Biden could be prevented from reaching 270 electoral votes, even if Trump has not managed by then to obtain court decisions or state legislative resolutions invalidating enough results to push Biden below 270. That sounds like a scheme to me. 
that that's sounds exactly, exactly the line why I they're read. looking. That's exactly that yeah, I mean, push below 270. That's exactly what shows one of the most important lines showing criminal intent. And what it also shows, which is, of course, bad for Donald, is this is a conspiracy, which brings it under the RICO statute. You have two or more people attempting yeah. to do something which is, of course, illegal. This, to me, is crazy. And the fact that this idiot put it in a memo and circulated it. I mean, if you're going to do what Donald had always talked about that Putin does, which is it doesn't matter who you vote for. All that matters is who's counting the Who vote. Counts. Hence yeah. why Putin is continuously getting like 92% of the electoral vote favorability. Why yeah. in the world would you actually put this down on paper and circulate it? Yeah. That's the arrogance and or the ignorance of this group of people that was surrounding the Mandarin Mussolini. Yeah. Um, I think that that um, saying, it might be apocryphal uh, about what matters is who counts the votes, is attributed to Stalin. Uh, be that as it may, um, the comparisons you make are very apt, Michael, because what we're seeing in our country is, and this is why it's so important that you came forward, you spoke out, you stepped up, you're doing the right thing. Your voice has become an authentic uh, and, and an important one. Um, we're faced with uh, totalitarian inclinations, not just by Donald Trump, but running throughout the Republican Party. Not everybody, Mitch McConnell does not want a totalitarian takeover. Um, and there's voters who obviously who disagree, but boy, there's a majority of the party now that has lost its grip on um, on democracy and on our Republican form of government and, and is looking for something that is more like a autocratic system that is, that's not America. So that's why I'm so glad you spoke out and, um, you know, and that's the challenge that we face. And that's why we need big cases like the Fannie Willis case is anticipated to be uh, the Michigan case, A.G. Dana Nessel. She hit the entire Republican Party uh, hierarchy, 16 of them who served as fake electors in that state, all up and down the Republican Party. This is the rot has truly spread. And then you get guys like James Comer, right, who goes on and he continuously defends what's going on here. I mean, I I'm amazed. I really am. I'm truly amazed and I'm horrified and petrified if these folks end up growing right and and they continue to hold the house or somehow manage to get the senate could you imagine what's going to go on here first and foremost without any evidence against biden at all right now nothing just what well, we believe they're already looking to file articles of impeachment against him oh my god you guys filed articles of impeachment against donald trump we're going to do it against joe biden how about the fact that there were grounds within which to bring the impeachment against Donald? There were grounds. All right. What grounds are you talking about? What evidence are you going to refer to 
other than hypothetical bullshit. And the way that these folks, that guys like Comer come out and they start to defend the actions of what they intend to do, it's horrifying. I can't imagine that our founding fathers ever thought that anything like this would ever really take place. Um, well, um, fears of the founding fathers, unfortunately, um, are not uh, very much on the minds of Jim Jordan and, and Jim Comer and Marjorie Taylor Greene and the impeachment advocates. Joe Biden did nothing wrong. And the star witness who just came in, Devin Archer, the one who was supposed to blow it open, he actually said Joe Biden did nothing wrong. He knew of nothing and he didn't think Joe Biden, you know, he did not provide a basis uh, to find any wrongdoing as to Joe Biden. Um, now, Hunter Biden is a different story, but Hunter Biden's not the president of the um not the president of the United States. So what? you can't impeach Hunter Biden, so they're going after his dad. It's terrible. No, it is, it is terrible, and it's scary, right? I, I mean, if Hunter Biden did something wrong, then he should be held accountable. I mean, here I keep screaming that there needs to be one system of justice for all. There should not be this two-tier system of justice that we clearly have, especially as it relates to Donald Trump. Right? For some unknown reason, he seems to be able to get away with everything, including things that he did, right? that everybody knows that he did, but for whatever the reason may be, well, let's give him a pass, let's give him a pass. He's the former president, he's the Republican leader for 2024 so far, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't understand this either. There's one system of justice or there's not. I mean, it's just, to me... It doesn't make well, any sense. Fighting. And we're the fighting more, for the one, more of these. We're, we're fighting for one system of justice, Michael. I don't know if we'll get one. That's that's what's up for grabs in 2024. Yep, 100%. I mean, yeah, the Democrats, myself, you know, included. And this is funny because the number of people, especially journalists, I shouldn't even call them journalists, more like sloppy writers. They keep talking about, oh, you know, when Cohen came out of prison, he became like this kid from Politico, Andrew Zhang. He says that he goes, oh, when Cohen came out of prison, he became a Democrat. I've been a Democrat most of my life. In fact, you know, I was a Democrat when I was the vice chair of the RNC Finance Committee, headed by Steve Wynn. And Steve Wynn was like, listen, Michael, you can't be the vice chair and be a Democrat for the RNC Finance Committee. We got to switch your party. Reluctantly, I did. And then I switched back after, you know, um, after the election. I mean, it's funny how this information is out there, but the sloppiness that's, you know, that just keeps getting written. What Democrats need to continue to pronounce is the fact that no one is above the law and that we have one system of justice. Under Trump administration, we clearly know that there was two. Right. That's for sure. But hopefully 2024, assuming we end up with another blue wave, manage to take back the House, which I think is extremely possible. Who knows? Maybe we could finally get the country back on track 
and put an end to the people like the Jim Jordans, the Comers, the Marjorie Toilet Greens, the, you know, the Lauren Boberts and so on. I don't, I don't know. But I am curious, Norm, I'm curious what you make of Trump's pushing back against Judge Chukin's protective order. Now, do you foresee a contempt charge against Trump should he continue to use social media to threaten witnesses and potentially discuss evidence that he becomes privy to during the discovery process? Um, no, I, I thought that Judge Chetkin um, did a good job at the hearing uh, on the protective order in acknowledging Donald Trump does have First Amendment rights, but he doesn't have a First Amendment right to use sensitive criminal evidence. Um, um, to prosecute his case. So, um, so I think that um, we must um, strike a balance. And that's what she did. She gave uh, the defense some of the things they wanted. She wanted to exclude the um, confidential uh, information, but non-sensitive information Trump can use. Okay, that's fair. She wanted to protect the witnesses. That's sensitive information. The number of people who can see it, she came up with a mechanism. You can show it to people. They have to sign a document. That's fair. So she she split the loaf. The government got more of the loaf, but uh, the defense got some slices, too. The government got more than half of the loaf. So then let me ask you this, because in an op-ed for The Independent, former prosecutor and friend of both of ours, Harry Littman, wrote that Trump has truly met his match in special prosecutor Jack Smith, saying that he is, and I quote, the very antithesis of a generic prosecutor. He has sussed out his quarry as meticulously as Ahab sussed out the white whale. So if you would, as a guy who, again, ran an impeachment, which is not an easy task. I mean, it's not like this is something that you've, you know, that you see every single day. Can you unpack for my listeners what special qualities are required of someone taking on Donald Trump in a trial that is you know, <laughs> for the former president's life? I mean, it's yeah. really it's for the former president's life as much as it is for his political future, knowing knowing Donald Trump will do anything and everything to remain free. He's not a normal guy. Yeah. Well, you've got to have a very strong you've got to have a very strong constitution to take on Trump because it is a fight. Whatever else you say bad about him, he's a true fighter, Michael. He does not quit. Um, you do need to be prepared um, to react fast. He moves fast. You need to be ready to move faster. You got to set up your system so you move faster like look how fast the government is filing all these briefs right they're not waiting over the weekend when he does something they file within hours okay um so that's another that's another uh consideration um and then i'll tell you a third thing and it's counterintuitive you can't um you can't um take the bait 
you also, though, while you have to move fast, while you have to hit equally hard, you can't sink to his level. You can't let him knock you off your game. You can't forget your values, your integrity. So you have to strike a balance, not to to react and to respond, and but not to overreact. That's a danger with Trump, that you might overreact. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, I know the Trump playbook. I know the Trump playbook better than probably almost anybody else. And I keep warning everybody, his entire game plan is nothing shy of delay, delay, delay. And thank God I'm finally hearing pundits on television saying exactly the same thing that I've been saying all along. He will look to delay this process as long as possible, then claim that it's too close to the election, that you're interfering with the election and there's that unwritten rule. And then the hope is that, in his mind, that he wins... And then he puts an end to all of this because there is no way that the Supreme Court will turn around and say afterwards that a sitting president has to you know, sit for trial in a criminal prosecution. You could wait till the game is over. And that's a real danger because even though he'll be 84, 85 by the time he gets out of office, he'll never sit for accountability The country with a Donald Trump presidency will never see democracy the way that we grew up with democracy. And I know that this sounds hyperbolic and very scary, like some sort of a crazy, you know, Netflix type of a TV show. This is not hyperbolic. No. And this is not meant to scare you. This is fucking, this is This is the real. This is fact. This is the real. This is a guy who will spend, Yeah. This is the real world. This is a guy, Norm, who will spend every single second of that presidency figuring out how to remain in power ad infinitum. This is a guy who, in his own words, said he wants to rewrite the Constitution, right? This is a guy who has already seen additional um, three new members of the Supreme Court overturn the Dobbs decision affecting Roe v. Wade. They have no consideration for starry decisis at all. This is a very dangerous time in America's democracy. A very dangerous time. Um, I couldn't, you, you, you called it in 2019. It happened in 2020. We were very fortunate in 2021 that a lot of Republicans did the right thing. So did a lot of Democrats. The attempted self-coup failed. Trump tried putting the Kuhmeisters in office in 2022, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, the Cary Lakes of the world, Finchams, Marchants, they were rejected, the Secretary of State candidates. Imagine if these MAGA people were in charge of our elections in these key swing states. That was rejected by the American people. The fight against the coup is going on now. Uh, and we must uh, we must fight it until we have no choice. But then let me ask you this, because since we're talking about Trump and his delay tactics, Trump then through his counsel said that he's going to ask for the federal judge presiding in the criminal case over the you know attempts to overturn the 2020 election to recuse herself, along with 
changing the venue outside of the District of Columbia, basically accusing the judge of being partial against him. Now, I'm curious if you believe that either of these two things can come to fruition. And more importantly, do you believe that Trump can have a fair trial in D.C.? Um, do I believe that Trump can have a fair trial in D.C.? One thousand percent. Um, there's there's been controversial cases here before. These jurors will set aside their biases. They'll be questioned in voir dire. And, uh, you know, the, the, the problem is not that from Donald Trump perspective, uh, the problem is not a fair trial. He wants an unfair trial because there's overwhelming proof here that he did wrong. And um, he wants a jury, like he wants West Virginia, he wants a jury packed with his supporters who won't apply the facts of the law. No, he's not getting that. He's gonna be tried, he's gonna be tried in the District of Columbia, he's gonna be tried in front of Judge Chutkin, he's gonna be tried in the first part of 2024, and that is what our country needs. Okay, so you believe, because uh, I'm with you on that, I believe that he can get a fair trial in D.C. I mean, you know, it's somebody. I couldn't have said it better. That's exactly what he wants. He wants an unfair trial. He wants a trial where you have the jurors, all MAGA supporters, that do not care what the facts are. The mere fact that their Fuhrer is on the witness stand, is the defendant in this case, is enough for them to dismiss the case without even without even a trial? Um, um, you know, he, he, what Donald, Michael, what Donald wants, um, what Donald wants um, is, um, what he wants is a kind of um, presidency, country, followers, government, that is not America. And he doesn't want the rule of law to function. He doesn't want the normal transition of power. He doesn't want the limits on presidential power. He's drunk with the adulation of those MAGA mobs. By the way, I don't criticize them. They're like cult followers. There's some who are haters and killers. Um, they were Many of them were arrested at the Capitol on January 6th. A lot of them are in jail or in the criminal process now. The worst ones came to Washington to fight. He's fooled and tricked a lot of people. This guy who just, you know, who the FBI just confronted, he's another of the dangerous ones. There are some dangerous ones out there. But there's a lot of very good people. Do you know, I, I, one of my very best friends in the world remains a strong Donald Trump supporter in spite of everything. And I love this guy. I love him like a brother. So is he a dog? Is him he why? a devil? Yeah, we talk about it. He has various policy reasons, personal reasons, various, even though he's been very successful, very grievances, various grievances against the liberal state, over regulation, over taxation. You know, he has a set of things. He's like, look, do I love Trump's rhetoric? No. He thinks the election was stolen. 
I, I, I have not been able to get him to accept the reality there. Um, so, uh, you know, um, that is the challenge. He's a good man. I love him. I give my life for him. I love him. And he'd do the same for me. But there is this one problem. There are millions of MAGA people who are like that. They're good people. Michael, were you, were you, were you, I know you did some wrong things. Were you a bad person those years you were working for, for, for Trump? No, you explained. It's, it's, okay, so, no, but it's different. It's different and it's important to make the distinction. Please. When I worked for Donald, when I worked for Donald, who's the president of a myopic real estate development branding company? What he said didn't mean shit unless it was on like The Apprentice when he was firing little John. It didn't fucking matter. Now, we all expected that he was going to rise, that he was going to elevate the shit in him when he became president of the United States, the honor to be the president of the United States of America, that he would honor the office and rise to the level of a president. Instead, he diminished the office. He became, as I've said a thousand times, the worst version of himself imaginable. And the actions that he took, whether it was separating families, immigration, the way that he started treating law enforcement, FBI, even though DOJ, and I have a lot of problems with DOJ, but the DOJ that I have problems with, the DOJ that Donald Trump set up using someone like a Bill Barr. So, you know, I don't accept that I would be part of the cult. I was part of the Donald Trump cult. And these people that want to say, oh, well, you only got out because he turned on you and you went to prison. Well, it certainly was an eye opener. But there's no fucking way that I was going to sit there and go along with the bullshit that he was going on post. I sat with him in the Oval Office right after, instead of doing what we talked about all along since 2015, the very fast, the very first bill that he was supposed to put forth was supposed to be an infrastructure bill. Instead, he decides to do a Muslim ban. And he decides to try to mask the Muslim ban as calling it an immigration ban. It was not. And then, of course, he acknowledged to me that it was Steve Bannon, Steve Miller, and so on. And I said to him, how the fuck could you do something like that? How? How do you think that you could ban a religion what did he say? from the country? What did he say? Man, we'll get it right the next time. We'll get it right the next time. Did I ever All tell right? you about so, my dinner? You know, Did I ever tell you about my dinner with Donald? No. <laughs> and Maya Culpa may be just a great place for you to do it. We'll make this. I know we're getting to the end of the hour. So I'll meet your story, which is very important. And I do take your point on the distinction. And and my the story of my dinner with Donald em- emphasizes the transformation. He was not a Mussolini yet. But, Michael, we have a lot of journalist friends in common. Some of them are friends of yours now. And they'll be the first to say Michael's a different person. He was terrible when he worked for Trump. I was protecting my, I was protecting my client from things you, like, from, uh, from yeah. stories, well, well, from stories which, which were lies. But some, you know, many some of them were, were lies. A story, for example, um, a story, for example, that Donald had raped Ivana in 1991, according to a statement that she had made in their divorce proceeding. 
But that's not what she meant. And that whole thing got blown out and, you know, out of out of proportion. And it ended up becoming its own sort of story and nonsense. All right. That was a lie. Donald never raped Ivana. All right. Uh, there were other stories that were also lies. And then there were stories that were true that would have damaged the brand. It would have damaged Donald personally. And my job was to do my best, and to prevent those stories from becoming explosive. I just happen to have done it a little better than most. <laughs> and these same journalists who, you know, they're friends, many of them are common friends of ours. All right, so speaking of stories, I'll, I'll leave our mayor, a couple of listeners, you know, I'll be back in a week or two. So I'll leave the listeners with another story similar. It makes the same point as you. I happened to be seated... Uh, uh, and to be a guest of and to be at cocktails with at the famous Washington Correspondents' Dinner where Obama roasted Trump. I happened to be also a guest of the Washington Post, and I, I spent most of the evening, I was seated uh, right next to him and Ivanka, Ivana, sorry, uh, no, him and Melania. Melania. I was seated right next to him and Melania, or very near them, a seat away. And um, and we were at the cocktail party together and whatnot. And I had never met this guy uh, who, you know, at the time, I mean, I, honestly, I, he supported the Clintons. I mean, he might have been a Democrat at the time, right? I guess he had already started the birtherism, so he was pivoting away. Anyhow, I'd never met him. I was very interested to meet him. So uh, uh, we were introduced by one of the Washington Post hosts at the cocktail hour they have before the dinner, and I chatted with them. I was ambassador to the Czech Republic at the time, and he was very funny, talked about the Czech Republic and how, like, he raised an eyebrow. He's like, I know all about them. He was referring to Ivana, you know, and we had a nice conversation about the country and the culture. His kids were half Czech. And um, and then uh, I and he asked me very intelligent questions like, I mean, he's not like Professor Larry Tribe. He's not some great genius. But, you know, he's very uh, well spoken, very street he's charming, mm -hmm. charming. Oh, my God. The charm offensive ambassador. Uh, and so I thought, wow. This guy's a really nice guy. And then Obama, I was seated. You can see it, Michael. Your viewers can see it on C-SPAN, the clip of the dinner. They can see me sitting right beside him, right near him. It, when the camera focuses on him, Obama starts roasting him. And he turned in. It was like uh, Dr. Donald and Mr. Trump. He turned into a different person, immobile. Mm -hmm angry, glaring, not laughing, his jutting his jaw like Mussolini, clenching the table, you could see. And afterwards, I'm like, oh my God, I'm laughing my ass off. And he was very angry. Nobody, everybody else was being polite. You can see in the, on C-SPAN, I'm laughing my ass off because it was funny. Glares at me at one point because I'm sitting next to him laughing. Didn't say another word to me after that. Totally cut me. Yeah, well, now you became, Which, sure, you became an enemy. But, you know, Norm, I want to just, because, you know, the hour comes goes by really quickly, especially you and I sitting and bullshitting, an hour goes by real fast. 
I ask all of my guests this same final question because I think it's, I, I find the whole concept of prognostication very interesting, right? We're all going to be Nostradamus. If you would, because, you know, predictions today are a dime a dozen. You listen to every, every pundit out there, but few people really have your depth of knowledge when it comes to this. If you could look into a crystal ball, where is Trump two years from now? Is he in prison? Is he in the White House? Or do you think he's like skulking around Mar-a-Lardo, diminished, neutered, you know, some sort of a diminished and neutered version of himself? I think two years from now he's in prison because I believe that he's not going to, his only hope to avoid jail is the presidency. And I just don't think the American people are going to return him to the White House. I don't know quite how we navigate that. I don't know what impact no labels will have on the election. Some say they could throw the election to uh, Republicans. Um, And if he's the Republican candidate, that means... You know, there is that risk. Uh, and it's so, you know, I because I have spent so much time in presidential politics and then I had my law school friend actually working on president, become a presidential candidate, Obama. And I uh, worked on a campaign I really saw from the inside before I'd just been a lawyer for campaigns. Then I really saw in Obama what a campaign is like. Um I um, there's miles to go. There's miles and miles to go. Um, I think that um, I think that uh, despite all of that and the uncertainties, no way the American people, they just won't allow it. And he's going to be convicted. Uh, The case, at least one and probably two cases will be on appeal uh, throughout 2024 convictions and appeals. And he's not going to win the presidency. And that's the only thing that's going to prevent him from serving jail time. So I think he's headed. Michael, uh, he might get your bunk at Otisville. (laughs) Well, uh, that would be uh, cubicle number 48. So, Norm, (laughs) so great to see you, my brother. Um, Thank you, Michael. I will definitely be having you back because, you know, it's funny. Um, Your perspective is just so spot on and you know i can't thank you enough for sharing your you know your time with me and my listeners uh stay safe my friend and i will definitely be speaking to you soon great to be with you see you soon Bye, Bye. well that's all the time we have today folks i'll be back with you full steam this friday with nothing but the truth here on mea culpa and as always thanks for listening Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. (laughs) 
Shit, my